My name is Jim Bertoni. Today is Sunday, November 8th, and I'm here with Christy Thornton and Stuart Schrader. Stuart Schrader, here at Brooklyn Public Library for an interview in the Intersection Prospect Heights project, uh, which is a project of BPL, Prospect Heights Neighborhood Development Council, and um, Escada. So, we're going to get started. Um, first of all, can each of you just tell us your names, please? Sure, my name is Christy Thornton, T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N. -N. And my name is Stuart Schrader, S-T-U-A-R-T-S-C-H-R-A-D-E-R. And have you lived or worked in Prospect Heights? Yeah, we've both lived in, lived in Prospect Heights. Um, we've lived in our current apartment uh, here on St. John's Place since November of 2003, and I lived in the neighborhood for about a year before that too, so since 2002. Mm -hmm. And do you still live in the neighborhood? We do. We still live here. Now, if you, um, uh, we can, you know, you, we can talk about anything you like, but we've sort of started off some of these interviews by asking if you had to take um, me on a tour of your, um, of the places in Prospect Heights that are mm -hmm. the most uh, important to you, what would they be? Mm, that's a really interesting question. Um, so we live on the block of St. John's Place that's between Plaza Street and Underhill, mm. um, which means that we live kind of directly across the street from the big new Richard Meyer glass curtain wall condo building, which when we moved into the neighborhood in 2002, 2003 was the parking lot for mm. the synagogue on Eastern Parkway. Um, and so we've seen obviously a lot of things change in the neighborhood. And so I think if I was gonna you know, sort of bring someone around maybe the, the immediate vicinity of where we live, but Prospect Heights in general, I might start by kind of pointing out the massive, the massive changes that have happened, which, you know, the, the sort of metastasizing condos, I think would be one place to start. Definitely that Meyer building as the beginning, um, the building on the other end of the block, which was, you know, set for development, um, mm -hmm. but then the financial crisis happened and that building was left undeveloped. Um, and, uh, of course, then on the other end of the neighborhood, the Atlantic Yards project, which was did not exist when we moved in, which we were ardent um, opponents of when it was happening. Yeah, and even um, you know smaller things like there wasn't always a bike lane on <laughs> Plaza Street, and now there is, which is a good thing. Um, but yeah, it, it, it sort of feels um, feels like there are both minor cosmetic changes like like that and and then big dramatic changes right the loss of some things that we really considered neighborhood institutions over the last few years um the when moonies on flatbush closed and became charlene's that was a big that was a big change in our lives then um at moonies your fourth beer was always a buyback <laughs> that's definitely not that's not true anymore at charlene's um and the recent closure of the diner, the usual, on Vanderbilt is just, um, you know, there had been rumors that it might happen, but that seems like a really, a kind of dramatic change, these places that seem like they were always gonna be there. When Gran Castillo de Jagua moved, it, they were threatened to close, and now they've moved up a block. Um, it was good that that was saved. Those kinds of, those kinds of small neighborhood institutions, I think. Yeah, some, some have moved to other places in the neighborhood, um, like the Muffin Shop that Little was on. But on the other hand, I do think that 
parts, which luckily, <laughs> um, if it's if it's changed, it's probably um, you know changed only in um, the way that you know trees have fallen and been <laughs> replanted and um, new new landscaping and that kind of stuff. Um, it's it's only mainly in Latin America. So you mentioned neighborhood institutions, um, and, and, and a couple of them, like the usual, which, yeah. which has closed. Um, actually, Mike Alkias was here um, two weeks ago wow. when we had yeah. one of our um, uh, one of the um, place conversations, and he was great. He was he was a lot of fun to talk with. Um, still lives in the neighborhood. Even, yeah, he's even, a great guy. Even though he's you know he sold the building and the yeah. restaurant, he's no more. But what other what kinds of institutions, when you think of neighborhood institutions that are still here now, what, do you, what, what, what kinds of things do you think of? Mm, that's a good question. Um, there, uh, there are a lot of, you know, obviously we're lucky that Prospect Heights is home to so many of the kind of central cultural institutions. And so the changes that have happened here at the library have been really important. Things at the Botanic Garden, the, the increase in services um, for the community at the Brooklyn Museum have been incredibly important. Um, and then, you know, the work of, um, I'm thinking especially some of the community gardeners that exist here, community gardens on St. Mark's Place and um, those, those sorts of people, even though I think um, neighborhood institutions went through a particularly um, or, or maybe community and neighborhood institutions maybe went through a particular moment of kind of coalescing around the opposition to the Atlantic Yards and now that the Atlantic Yards is being built and we're sort of seeing the felt presence of it and um, I, I'm less involved than I, than I probably once was in, in how those things work but the existence of those neighborhood institutions or, or organizations the way people were brought together through that I think was really important over this last decade or so. Yeah, and sometimes I think you don't really recognize that something is an institution until it's not. <laughs> <laughs> um, or even just in, in a way like just seeing familiar faces can can almost feel like a sort of institution insofar as you know every time you walk on a certain block, um, you know you, you see the same you know super in front of the building mm -hmm. or or the same. Employees, or, or or obviously people who live in various buildings, and um, and you might not even you know know their name or or whatever. You just know they're there, and then and then you stop seeing them, and then you kind of realize that you know that they were a, a part of your sort of the fabric of your neighborhood that you mm -hmm. didn't even really pause to think about until until they're gone. Yeah. I do want to make sure that we're not saying that everything that's new is is bad in Prospect Heights, of course. And I think that one one really important example of that is unnameable books. The the existence of this bookshop on Vanderbilt, and it's really it, it really is a community center. They do so many frequent readings. The employees who work there and the owners are really um, really cognizant of sort of their place in the neighborhood. And I think that 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 sort of institution is something that's very useful for the neighborhood something that really is trying to anchor itself and ground itself in being part of the local community. And so I think that, that something like that, like Unnameable Books, is a really important, I think, institution that's still around, or a, a kind of new institution that's being established. Mm -hmm. Now, is that, and do you, do you visit Unnameable Books frequently? Yeah, probably once a week, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely a place that we go a lot, and one that I'm 
But I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that they're making it there on Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt it was kind of in particular, it was a funny thing because it was, there was kind of early gentrification when we first moved to the neighborhood. Um, and it, the existence of sort of the only fancy restaurants in the neighborhood, right? Like the, um, what was the restaurant called? The Garden... The Garden Cafe. The Garden Cafe, right, my, exactly, my, yeah. My, my personal favorite right. restaurant <laughs> in New York City, ever. Yeah, the Garden Cafe and Aliseo, which has now closed, um, yeah. but you have Emerina across the street. So the, there was sort of an initial wave on Vanderbilt, and then um, when gentrification really took off in Crown Heights, it was sort of like... Uh, that these parts of Prospect Heights kind of got skipped over. And so we had a moment where both Vanderbilt and Washington Avenues were kind of, um, seemed like they were in a moment of stasis yeah. almost while Franklin was going Franklin crazy. crazy. Everyone was moving to that part and there was all sorts of new development on Franklin. And now you're starting to see some of that, you know, pick back up on Vanderbilt and Washington and seeing new businesses and the closure of old businesses and that sort of thing. And Underhill even too, a little bit. Uh, and Underhill, that has been a really, that's been a really crazy change for us because we've lived on St. John's by Underhill for, you know, we just signed our 13th lease in this apartment. So seeing when Blue Marble opened and the yoga studio and now there's a bar on the yeah. corner and um, Stuart had a really funny experience actually coming back to the neighborhood once. Yeah, yeah, well, right, the, um, the, the bodega that was on the corner of um, Underhill and St. John's that is, is still there, mm -hmm. but, but got totally renovated right. um, a few years ago. Um, and it's the same owners and same, it's the same, same people, it's same just, people, it looks incredibly but it looks, different. It looks totally different, and um, it wasn't actually my experience, it was a, a friend of mine in the neighborhood um, was, was walking by, and there was a guy standing on the corner, and he was, he was really I think that's pretty different than some of the other places. You know, the bodega that was on one block down that is now this okay. kind of fancy beer bar. Right. And um, things like the, the laundromat on the corner of St. John's and Washington burning down, Ali's laundromat. I used to go there all the time, and that, um, right. that building burned down a few years ago. And right. now they're building something that's going to be replaced. Yeah. It looks like it's going to be sort of mixed-use residential commercial. Mm -hmm. um, but the bo bodega across the street from that is now also being renovated and is going to be turned into, I think, a fancy restaurant. So the, um, there defi definitely used to just be a lot more bodegas in this <laughs> neighborhood than there are mm -hmm. now. Now we have more cupcake shops and coffee shops right. and fancy beer bars. Right, beer yeah. bar. <laughs> and and on, actually on that block on Underhill, there, there was that community theater space. Oh, right. Right. Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, di disappeared. But um, that, was, that was totally one of those kinds of things where we felt like it was nice to have it there and didn't take enough advantage of yeah. it. Yeah. And that was a while ago. I, yeah. I, yeah, I went to at least one production there while that was open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was kind of a, I thought it was kind of a strange place, but yeah. it was an interesting <laughs> thing to have right, there. Right. Yeah, and I think that this used to be much more the kind of a neighborhood where 
those kinds of random strange spaces yeah, could exist, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. where the rents might be affordable enough that people could be doing things that maybe didn't make total commercial or, you know, kind of straightforward kind of sense. And I think that there are still pockets of that. I think there are parts of the, the more industrial blocks of, um, like, St. Mark's and Prospect further down where there's warehouse spaces where there are still screen printing shops and mm -hmm. galleries and that sort of thing where people are doing things that are maybe not so not so straightforward um, sort of commercially but mm -hmm. definitely as you get up closer towards Grand Army Plaza and we we feel kind of strange about it because we you know we live in this rent stabilized apartment that we've been in for 13 years now so we sort of feel like we can never leave <laughs> And especially this year when the 0% rent increase this <laughs> right. year of our lease, that means that, you know, we feel like we have, we're going to stay in this apartment forever because we will never, ever get back into this part of Brooklyn if we leave. And especially not this kind of strange corner that is so close to Grand Army Plaza that we lucked into. Oh, speaking of institutions, like the number one institution in Prospect Heights in my mind is probably Marjorie Thompson, who is the real estate agent who has the real estate office on Washington Avenue. And everyone I know who's come through this neighborhood and rented an apartment, they've had some run-in with Marjorie. And she really struck me when we were looking for apartments 13 years ago. She, I had been subletting from someone in a building on St. John's in Washington. And we went into her real estate office. And she was like, okay, what are you looking for? And we told her. And she was like, oh, you, you're staying on the fourth floor of 448 St. John's Place with those two other girls, right? Like, she knew where I was living, <laughs> even though I'd never met her before. And, and then everybody I talked to who had had some run-in with her just felt like she had some, like, magical tentacles yeah, of knowledge about the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah so, yeah. Um, but, it's, yeah, so it's, she's absolutely another, she's an another institution, institution, but also definitely a, a an agent of change. Agent of change. Yeah. That's funny. I, you know, and I, I don't, I don't know her. I mean, I, I you know, I, 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 don't. I haven't rented an apartment in this neighborhood, so that might be why yeah. I don't know her. I know a lot of the real estate people, but I don't know her. But that's a great story. Yeah, yeah. She's, she definitely seems like she, she has her finger on all of the changes that are happening. And you know, and if you're in, if you're in real estate in this neighborhood, right? Of course, you're gonna, you're gonna be taking advantage and making benefits from that. But it also seems like she just kind of. She knows everybody and everything and where all where all those things are, but um, but yeah. So staying staying on this block and staying in this place, you know, we're we're we feel very much um, lucky to be there, lucky to have lucked into this apartment through Marjorie Thompson thirteen years ago. But also feel like we could never ever leave because it has changed so much, and even just in our building the turnover of rentals in our, our building might be one of the only ones that's actually remaining still rentals and hasn't gone to co-op condo on our block. And so um, the, just the turnover has been incredibly fast and we think that <laughs> we have, we're gonna stay in this apartment and stay in this rent stabilized lease forever. <laughs> what, and and is, there, is there something that you think is driving the, the turnover in, in the, the neighbors in your building? Well, I mean, I, it, it's clear that people want to live in the neighborhood. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's a great place to live. So I, I think it was a little bit under the radar in terms of people's um, kind of understanding of what was desirable when we, when we moved to the neighborhood. There was still very much a sense that being on this side of Flatbush was, yeah. the, was less desirable and sort mm -hmm. of problematic in yeah. some way. And if you could sort of 
keep yourself as close to Plaza Street as possible, you might be able to get away with it. But right. it'll <laughs> only, only be mugged once right. or twice. Yeah. You know, no, and it is year. true that there, you know, like there used to be much more street violence in in the neighborhood and petty crime and, petty crime and yeah, our car got broken into a lot when we first moved to the neighborhood and um, the day the day we moved in, the only thing. sort of new sort of post-college graduate like young people living in groups and um, they would move in and one of them would move out and another one would move in there's sort of a churn that way but recently there have been these these people who will come and stay for a year kind of in they must be in some kind of transitional you know starting a new job in New York or something like that and I think um, our block in particular well, the Meyer building being across the street, it's just all of a sudden some kind of cachet, right? And so we have people who aren't necessarily ready to or not buying something in the neighborhood, right? People who don't have the kind of money to put down or don't know that they're going to stay in New York for the long term, but want to be in a desirable place. And we happen to live in this one weird rental building that's kind of surrounded by condos and co-ops. Mm -hmm. So the kind of people who are moving into that is, I think, now changing as the rents get more expensive and as um, as the neighborhood itself changes. So, I mean, and there are still families who have been in the building since long before we moved in, you know, people we've known since we got there. And we've seen some families leave when they have more kids or something like that. But, um, but yeah, the kind of people who are sort of transitioning in and out of the building is definitely changing now. And how would you, so just once again, could you d just describe that a little bit about, about the, uh, the different, I mean, you mentioned that People who are moving in tend to be maybe a little bit older, um, you know, maybe a little bit more established than the people who are, but, but. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a really interesting thing because I think that, um, well, buying, buying anything in Prospect Heights, is, I, don't, I don't know how you would just sort of come from, um, how you would have not done this 20 years ago and be able to do it now, I guess. Like people who own in Prospect Heights, uh, like I, it's hard for me to imagine. I mean, I'm a college professor, Stewart's a postdoc, like, and I can't imagine how you would ever be able to do this. And so I think that um, it's people are moving in who are not. I think the people who originally would have been moving into the building 
groups of roommates, young people who are sort of striking out on their own for the first time, those people are all now definitely going to Crown Heights. They're, they can't afford the increases in rent because as people come in and come out, right, the landlord is able to raise the rent a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and, you know, it's not the sort of market rents now um, are so far above what the um, destabilization rate is. And so, especially with a two-bedroom or a three-bedroom apartment, the lots of apartments in our building have been destabilized at this point. So, um, so I think now we do have more people moving in who are these kinds of uh, who must be coming for some kind of transitional job in New York, coming from elsewhere. We there was a couple actually that just moved in. They were there for a year and they just moved out again. And they came from the Midwest. And I don't know what kind of work they did. We, we didn't have that specific of a conversation with them, but it was clear that they were around for a year to work in New York, and now they have moved on to, whether it's because they bought something somewhere else or because they had to go somewhere else for their work. Um, but I think now the level of income you have to have for this to be your transitional rental is much higher than it obviously was when we, when we moved in 13 years ago. Yeah. I guess the, the thing that strikes me about um, people who just kind of pass, pass through like that is what's really unfortunate is that, and obviously they don't have a necessarily a choice in this, but they, they are motors of raising the rents because landlords take advantage of, of turnover to mm-hmm. raise rents and, and, and oftentimes they take apartments out of stabilization. And so that's a really unfortunate that happens when there's lots of turnover both in a building and people only stay for a year at a time um, and you know and I, I I also just think you know it, within in a year it's really hard to get to know a place if you know you just kind of move in and you get familiar and then you um, move out so quickly yeah. um, and you you just don't really sort of make any kind of I mean of course you could make Um, and the, the other thing that I, I often think about folks who, who come to the neighborhood now and, and, and then maybe leave, or even if they stay, is just not, you know, not knowing what it used to be like is, um, is funny because now it, it does seem, as you said before, it does seem like places like Vanderbilt, the sort of commercial strip on Vanderbilt is relatively, um, in the state, in, in stasis. Obviously, there's turnover, but um, people aren't witnessing the dramatic change that that did happen over the past 15 years or whatever. Um, and so, just kind of thinking that it has that the neighborhood has always looked like this, or thinking that um, you know, like the, the the Richard Meyer building was always there. <laughs> like, it, obviously, when you look at it, you know it's kind of new. So, you, in some sense, you have to know it wasn't always there. But um, the whole kind of feeling of this part of the neighborhood was was different when that wasn't there when there was you know just a, mm-hmm. a parking lot with weeds and abandoned cars right. and um, it, it just it just changes the feeling mm-hmm. um, so so I'm, I'm, I feel oddly grateful for having been able to witness this ch- that changing kind of affective dimension of, of living in the neighborhood um, yeah. and you you mentioned that you have there are there are folks that you've known since you moved to the neighborhood who are still here. 
Um, you know, what are those? You know, what are what are what are those neighbors like? What's that? You know, what's that dynamic like? Yeah, I mean, I think one really exemplary one is just the relationship that we have with our super. So our super Ruben, he um, he, I think he took over as the super not very long before we moved in. Um, and his family are the supers for a couple of buildings on our block, and they're from Puerto Rico. And um, just because we've been in the building so long and because I speak Spanish and um, we, we have just developed over these years a very close relationship with him and with his family. And um, like I helped him get a bank account for the first time. And I when he needs to go to Puerto Rico to see his family, I buy his plane tickets on my credit card and he pays me back. And we, we sort of have the I, I liken him to my uncle. It's like he's become the super of our building is kind of like my uncle with all of the good and the bad things that come <laughs> along with family, right? Um, but he is definitely very much, um, he and the other supers on the block, you know, they have a kind of funny, uh, a kind of quiet understanding. The way you can see the way they communicate with each other with like a nod and a whistle. And, um, and he's really an anchor of our block, you know, and he um, having that relationship with him for so long and us having been in the building for so long, I think he also, um, he looks at us and probably differently than he did when we first moved in, right? Because yeah. um, we've been there for so long. And then there are a number of other families who live in our building, people who do things like work for the MTA, work for the city. Um, and those people are families that, you know, African-American families, West Indian families who have been in the building um, for generations. So, and you know. Generations. And generations live in the apartment together. So, like, uh, you know, you have uh, grandparents who have lived there, their adult children with their small children. Everybody lives in the, in the building or in the apartment in together. Or in multiple apartments. People have moved between apartments. And so um, in that way, we've seen a lot of young kids sort of come up. We've seen a lot of kids grow up in our building and that sort of thing. So um, having those kinds of relationships, I think, is, is one thing that really feels like it grounds us in this particular neighborhood and again because there has been so much change around us sort of having that the the continuities of those people have been has been really important and then the people who the people who have sadly left you know people who we had you know the kinds of relationships that you have with your neighbors where you're not you're not the kind of friends who might you know sit down and have dinner together but you stop and you talk and you you know and then all of a sudden one day those people are gone it can be really surprising mm -hmm. um, and that ha that's happened a couple of times too yeah and it strikes me that um, this, the story of who lived in our apartment before mm -hmm. we moved in, so the story that we've heard is that um, it was a woman who was in her 90s. She had lived in the apartment for something like 40, 40 years. 40 years, yeah. Um, and she supposedly, well, at first they told us she didn't die in the apartment. <laughs> and then, but then, then it came out that she actually did. After <laughs> some time, it came out that she actually did die in the apartment. Um, but you know she she had been paying um, like under three hundred dollars under three hundred dollars a month for, her, for the apartment, which of course you know she was in her nineties, obviously yeah. um, on a fixed income, um, and so you know we we came along and you know the rent when we when when we moved in the rent was fourteen hundred when we started yeah um, so uh, that's a perfect example of what I was mentioning before and how turnover enables the landlords to charge 
way, way more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously, the, many of the apartments in our building aren't experiencing that kind of drastic of a yeah, turnover yeah, where like somebody has been there for that long. But um, so our next door neighbors, when we moved in, had lived there for a while, and they were raising a daughter, and then they had another baby, and they decided they had to leave the city. Um, and they were an amazing Brooklyn family because he was Korean American, she was Italian American. They had an adopted African American daughter, and then they had a baby. So they wow. they were um, they were just awesome people, and we really liked them. We got along really well with them, and we were really sad when they decided they went to Buffalo, where his family was from, um, to ra- because with two kids they didn't feel like they could stay in the apartment. Um, and so they were the ones who told us the story of the woman who lived there before. And um, there is a big kind of crowbar mark in our door you know we have a big metal fire door and it definitely has a crowbar dent in it mm-hmm. from the fire department yeah. entering yeah, so. we didn't know what it was until <laughs> we kind of put two and two together. <laughs> so obviously the um our case when we moved in when they had renovated the apartment you know it, that was a that was a giant renovation from somebody having lived there for 40 years before now it's more like somebody comes in and lives for a year they, they, when they move out, the landlord repaints and then raises the rent by whatever, however mm-hmm. many hundreds of dollars it goes up. And so th- that's the kind of turnover that's really, I think, changing the character of the building in a serious way. Yeah. Now, you, we talked a little bit before about bodegas. And, and there, you know, there's a bodega down the street from you. There used to be the other one that was on the corner before it became Gold Star. And then, and then there's, there was the other one that was down the street that was on the corner of Washington. Now, do you do a lot of your shopping um, at, the, at those places as well? I think um, we probably used to more than now. Uh, we're members of the Park Slope Food Co-op, so um, the vast majority of our shopping gets, right. done, gets done at the food co-op. Um, but there are funny things like, um, you know, the thing that always, the thing about the one example from bodega culture and there being a bodega everywhere that doesn't exist anymore and I think is particularly striking on that one block of Underhill is that it used to be possible in New York City in the summer and Brooklyn in the summer when it was 95 degrees and it was so hot to go to any bodega and get a $1 popsicle, right? Get like a froze <laughs> fruit for $1. Right. You could do that anywhere on a really hot day. You could always get a $1 popsicle. And now on that block, all you can get is a $4 ice cream cone, right? <laughs> like, and so that, that to me has always been one of right. the really striking things of of how those, uh, how all of the bodega, bodegas on this in this part of this southern part of Prospect Heights have disappeared, and so on so on those like August days when you're on the street and you just you know you just want to cool off. That has always been a really striking thing to me. Like, am I going to go into Blue Marble and pay four dollars for a tiny ice cream? You know, it's <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned because I was thinking about that. I was thinking about froze fruit bars the other day. Kind of, where did they go? I, I mean, know, like, right? That used to be, be a thing everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the easy thing to grab. Yeah, was, exactly. I used to. Yeah. Hot I used to do community gardening work in the Bronx and walking along Bedford Park Boulevard, like getting on the B train, I would always stop in a bodega and one dollar buy a froze fruit, and that was like the way that you survived. Now they don't even cost. If you can find them, they definitely yeah, don't cost a dollar. So. Yeah. <laughs> also, generally ripe avocados oh, that's true. are something you can get in bodegas <laughs> and not in, not um, in a regular grocery store.
distinction, you know, thought that there was a distinction to be made and the others thought it just didn't matter <laughs> and, you know, just get whatever um, and probably get whatever was cheaper. Right. Um, and so I sorta, I remember that that was [laughs] I was like, "These, these kids have" you know, thinking that there's not really a difference, that the, you know, just that what what the difference is is the cost, like they have a real insight into the situation that, that I probably am lacking. Yeah, yeah. Probably. Pro- probably none of them had ever read John Stuart Mill either. Yeah. Right, I mean, exactly. [laughs] Yeah. Yeah. They, they figured it out, they figured it out intuitively. Yeah, they figured it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we talked a little bit too before about how a, about changes that have happened over the last, you know, over the last thirteen years since you've, since since you've lived on St. John's place. When you look forward and it sa- you know, and you, you sound like you're very happy living in Prospect Heights and you have a, you have a nice place to live and everything else, so assuming that you're, do you think do you see yourself staying here? I guess you said that you felt like staying here is the one, is the, is the best way to make sure that you still stay here and Yeah, I mean, we definitely feel as though we will, if we leave this apartment, we will never be able to afford anything in Brooklyn again. [laughs] Like, I, I can't imagine, we have friends who, you know, we both went to graduate school here in New York and, um, friends who have come to sort of start graduate school and have to find a place to live, they, you know, they come and they ask like, "What do you do? And I say, "I have no idea. I have no idea what I would do if I didn't live in this rent-stabilized apartment and hadn't lived here for over a decade." Yeah. And, and we have friends who moved, you know, ten times in five years just because they, it was so hard to find a place that was affordable and stable and, you know, a nice place to live. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's like we're, we've both now finished our PhDs. I actually teach in South Jersey, so I now I'm commuting. I spend some of my time in Philadelphia and come back here, um, and so, um, the question of sort of where we'll go and if we'll stay in Prospect Heights, I mean, I would love for some situation to arise where we can stay in Prospect Heights forever. I, I don't know if I would love to stay in our fifth-floor walk-up where we have to do laundry down the street forever, but, uh, I would do it if it was necessary, um. Yeah, it's, it's, it's out of, it's out of our hands in, in some sense. Yeah. [laughs] Uh huh. Um, I think, yeah, we, we, we would, we would wanna stay if, if we could, but We don't have the kinds of jobs where we can necessarily choose where we work, so um, if we were able to choose, we would definitely stay in New York and stay in Prospect Heights, and and if we magically won the lottery, we would buy a house in Prospect Heights immediately. Yeah. [laughs] Uh, we would, we would definitely not leave if we had the means to not leave, um, so that's a kind of funny thing where it's like we don't really have the means to leave now, right, we can't, we can't go buy something somewhere else, but we also don't have the means to not leave. Yeah. And so we're, um, there is a little bit of a sense in which, like, we're in this place because we're in it and we're lucky that it's nice and that we like it, but, um, yeah, so it's, it's a question. We may end up just staying in it forever, and our, our downstairs neighbors, they're in their, the, the oldest generation in the, in the apartment now are in their seventies and they walk up and down the stairs to the fourth floor and it takes ten minutes and I don't know, I don't know if we can grow old in this apartment, we'll see, but Yeah. [laughs] Yeah. So what, and when you think about, so, you know, and you've, you've obviously that's, you, you've, you've been very observant of the transitions in the neighborhood over the last thirteen years. When you think about maybe the next thirteen years into the future, what do you think the, what do you think the neighborhood's going to be like? What do you, what do you, what kinds of things do you expect to see? Yeah. Hmm. That's a good question. In In some, in some ways I, I guess I imagine the kinds of changes that have happened could just continue just sort of 
the replacement of businesses with new ones that last a, not very long. And I mean, I don't. I, I, it's it's hard to envision. Um, it's hard to envision places that will start now and last a really long time, just because mm. it seems like it's it's so it's so hard to have a small business in New York. I think um, yeah. because rents are so high. Um, although, of course, I'd like to be wrong about that. I, I would like to see see places last. Mm. On the other hand. You know, when we moved in, places that maybe seemed like they'd been there forever probably hadn't been. <laughs> they, they were probably <laughs> 10 years. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how usual was. Um, yeah, well, that had been a business that was, that um, it, it, it had operated a long time in the neighborhood, and um, Mike and his brother bought it. Mm-hmm. It used to be called George's. Mm-hmm. Okay. It was run by two guys named George, <laughs> and they bought it from him probably about, probably about 25 years ago. Uh-huh. You know, so yeah, it, so it, it, had it been there a long time. Yeah, it had run under the two of them for quite for yeah. quite some time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think one of the most visible and obvious changes um, is the condo construction. I mean, Prospect Heights has these long blocks between the avenues where there was formerly industrial space and warehouse space, and um, especially the closer that you get to Atlantic, the more of that there is. And um, obviously, there are places where there have been artist lofts for a long time, right? Um, Grand and St. Mark's or Prospect, there's a big loft building. And, um, but increasingly, you see more and more um, sort of the existence of the still industrial space, pl- things like um, tire repair shops and that kind of thing next to these new condos that are coming up, right? So, um, you know, the, <laughs> the um, halal chicken slaughtering place next to with like a fancy bar across the right. street that's like a yeah so class and you're thinking yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so those those kinds of things are um, I, I just feel like if I when I ride my bike or I walk around Prospect Heights there's always a new condo going up mm-hmm. and some of them are enormous I mean I guess t- it's technically in Crown Heights but on the block of St. John's yeah. between Klassen and Franklin that's a huge, that's building. huge building where they tore down a parking garage and that and the building is just going to be enormous and so, you know, obviously we've thought a lot about the increasing density that's going to come with the Atlantic Yards buildings. And now that especially the building on Vanderbilt is actually going up and you can really sort of on a human scale see how big it is actually going to be, which is obviously something that the opponents argued from the very beginning that these things were out of scale yeah. with the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that you can really see how building, how big that building is, and when you stand on Atlantic and you see the one that's going up on Carlton and the one that's going up on Vanderbilt and you kind of see those two together and then you imagine buildings in between, the, it's just like... But that's, uh, obviously we know about the massive density that's coming with that, but then when you just go along those blocks of like St. Mark's and Prospect and Dean and you see all the places where there used to be warehouses or tire repair places or car, car repair places that are now condos, um, it's, really, it's really striking. And so I think that um, I, I've, maybe I just don't understand the structure of how like how Americans are so in debt now, but it's hard for me to imagine how they're going to continue to be enough people to fill these condos, right? Because they are so expensive. I mean, uh, you can't get a two-bedroom condo in this in this neighborhood for less than eight hundred thousand dollars now. So who are the people who can afford this? It's really it's really striking to me. I I think about that constantly as I see more and more of these buildings coming up. Well, and and not not just in this neighborhood, but across across Brooklyn. So so many new, new really big buildings that presumably need to have tenants eventually. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, a lot of people. Yeah. 
So I think that 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 the continuing condo construction. I mean, you can just see you can see buildings that you can imagine developers are walking up and down the streets and saying, if I can get my hands on that one, I can build ten stories. If I can get my hands on that one, I can build twelve stories. So um, I think that that is a that's a change that I think is only going to continue given the new construction that's happening now. And I think that what that will inevitably mean is just that um, the local businesses will, will be really crowded in, in a way, and it, it, always, it always brings to mind, you know, like the Yogi, Yogi Berra <laughs> saying, like, it's so, it's so crowded no one goes there anymore. Like, <laughs> we feel that way about so many places where, um, you know, because a lot of the businesses, like even a bagel shop, it's, it's tiny, and, and it, it, there's only so much room to squeeze in to wait online the lines out the door because there are just so many people in the neighborhood who, of course, everybody wants a bagel man. So um, you kind of wonder how that's, what kind of, it just it seems unsustainable because um, as more and more and more people are moving in, the amenities, it seems, can't possibly keep up. And then on the other side, you do see a business that's totally crowded, you know, like an ice cream shop. figuring out why that is is beyond my abilities, but um, but I, I notice it, and I wonder um, if there is some kind of, you know, equilibrium that could be found where, um, you know, <laughs> every business would have enough clients to keep it going, <laughs> but not so many that it's too crowded. <laughs> well, and then beyond that, of course, you just have the actual infrastructural needs of the neighborhood, right? So, you know, like Prospect Heights has a really good elementary and secondary schools like there are excellent high schools excellent elementary schools in this neighborhood there are others that are not as not as great but um, and if the population does continue to grow and the density gets that much more making sure that there are actual resources and obviously what that what happens in so many neighborhoods where the density increases is what you get are charter schools and so the and then when there are new charter schools in the neighborhood that changes the dynamic with the existing public schools and so um, I think that if there continues to be building at the rate that there is now, and that really begins to affect the density and the po- and the you know sort of density of the population in the neighborhood, you could start to see real impacts on those things as well. Yeah, and, and other other aspects of infrastructure like subways and and, and just streets being yeah being the subway. Crowded. I mean, when we first moved here, you know, taking the taking the Q train, the Q diamond, Q diamond. taking the Q diamond at 9 a.m. You definitely never packed in with wi- with people on the Seventh Avenue stop the way that you do when you're waiting mm-hmm. on a B and Q train now. So. Yeah, it's definitely more complicated. <laughs> and you said you have a car. Do you still have a car? I do have a car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Has that has 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 dealing with your car changed much over the last 13 mm-hmm. years? Parking has always been terrible. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's always been hard to park. I mean, our our lives have changed. We you know we used to work basically nine to five jobs and. Parking has always been terrible in Prospect Heights. And one thing that has always really struck us about living where we live um, is the way that in Park Slope they have one day a week alternate side parking. And in Prospect Heights we have two day a week alternate side parking. Or, or four days, actually. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Four days. So if, you're, if, you, if you park and you have to move on a, on a, on a um, 
Tuesday, Friday, or a, or a Monday, Thursday, whereas over in the slope, you have to move once right. a week, and, and everybody moves for like five minutes, and there's a whole power politics to how thing, how parking works well, over there in Park Slope, but... Yeah, there's a reason for that. I can explain it later, <laughs> but yeah, that is the way it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we've always just understood it as the the sort of political power of of, of park slopers versus <laughs> prospect heights. No, that's, that's the story we've they, always told. It's <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. No, that's not the reason. <laughs> but so yeah, parking has always been terrible, yeah. but we have continued to deal with it. And now actually, because I work in South Jersey, I drive back and forth. So now I, I actually couldn't live without my car because mm -hmm. I have to drive to this job in, in Southern New Jersey. Right. But, but for, for most of our lives, the only driving we've done has been <laughs> to the other side of the street and back. Which is a funny, it's a silly way to live. <laughs> Well, is there is there anything else that you would like to add that you'd like to that you'd like to talk about? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I feel like the you know this despite all the, the changes in the neighborhood, it's um, it still remains, I think, a, a really fascinating and fulfilling and friendly place to live. Mm -hmm. Generally, like there's there's cool stuff happening. People. Are interesting and, and generally um, does does feel like a neighborhood where you're um, where people sort of look out for one another and and you know I I, I don't want to like romanticize it because <laughs> there are massive levels of inequality even within Prospect Heights um, and of course within the city more broadly um, but but I do think that there yeah there's something kind of When I, mo I moved to Prospect Heights after living in Manhattan for five years, um, and what really struck me at the time was the way in which if people were on your street, you know, if you passed people on the street on the sidewalk, there were people who, who lived in the neighborhood. It wasn't a place where, unlike when you live in Manhattan in so many places, the people on the street are passing through for various things. They're passing through for jobs. They're passing through because they're tourists. They're going from one place to another. In a place like Prospect Heights, it always felt like you know, the people who are in the neighborhood on a given day are the people who live in the neighborhood, right? And mm -hmm. the people who have, or work in the neighborhood, people who have like a real connection to the neighborhood in that way. Um, and so that was always something that really struck me about Prospect Heights. Um, now, of course, we have um, double-decker tour buses that come <laughs> through the neighborhood in a way that was not the case when we first moved yeah. here. So maybe that's a little bit different now. Um, but I, I still think that that is true about Prospect Heights. I have one, just one more question for you. What, what, what made you guys decide you wanted to come in and tell your story um, to us with the Intersection Project? Well, we, we, we read about it and it, it seemed cool. Well, it, it seems cool. We're both historians, so we have a, um, a particular sort of interest in historical documentation. <laughs> um, and I think we also feel like 
certain perspective on cosmic types that is um, not necessarily unique, but at least a little bit different from some other folks we know, just people, people our age and our friends, because we've been here for a while. Yeah, I think being in our mid-30s, having finished graduate school pretty recently, um, we definitely, there we don't have a lot of peers who have lived in an apartment for 13 years, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I, we have, I think we have a real sense of investment in the neighborhood, and so, and we feel like we are definitely a part of this neighborhood, and it's a part of sort of how we have um, lived our lives and sort of grown as New Yorkers, and so um, Prospect Heights is really important to us, yeah. Great. All right, well, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for, for participating. Um, so this concludes our interview today with uh, Christy Thornton and uh, Stuart Schrader. And um, um, we thank you very much for, for, for joining us.